Blog Talk Radio. Show your mostly weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful, wearying world of mixed martial arts. Need a better W word for that. I really do. I will sit down with a dictionary and a thesaurus and figure it out. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for the show. Uh, thank you to anyone who happens to be listening live at our special start time this afternoon of 2 p.m. Eastern. Accommodations have to be made for my life. And the fact that there's a family tradition surrounding the Super Bowl. Uh, tonight we will be... Tonight. I'm on script here, people. You can tell. Uh, we'll be discussing the fallout from UFC Fight Night 125 and what a... Well, it was an event. Uh, we'll be going through that. I will also give a preview of UFC 221. Because that's coming up and is... Well, the UFC had better just hope that nothing happens to Luke Rockhold or UL Romero in the next six days. Let me put it like that. Because that's not a terribly strong card. Uh, There's also a little bit of news discussion, of course. We had a major pay-per-view main event fall through, and the UFC is struggling to find a replacement. And in fact, as of right now, uh, they have not found one. So we'll go over that, of course. Um, If you have a question or a comment, there's a couple of different ways you can get them to me. You are more than welcome to tweet me. I am at WinfreeMMA. If you follow the Radlich and Broadcasting Network on Facebook, which you should, you can leave questions or comments in the post where this player is embedded. There's one every Sunday, you know, hyping up this show. Or you can call in if you don't want to just hear me talk to myself for the next hour and change uh, at 323-657-0901. But with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get on with the show. I, again, I'm on my own tonight. Uh, tonight, jeez, this afternoon. Uh, again, there's the, with the time change, Jeff wasn't really available, and I think Pat's working, so it's just me, so you get to suffer through that, I suppose. Uh, all right, last night, UFC Fight Night 125. This was a rough card. This was a really rough card in so many, through so many stretches. Uh, in the main event, we have Lyoto Machida defeating Eric Anders via split decision. This was Machida's first win since 2014. Yeah, when he beat CB Dalloway. Um, 
Let's start with the obvious. I disagree with this decision. The scores were 48-47 for Machida, 48-47 for Anders, and 49-46 for Machida. <clears throat> I do not believe 49-46 for either man is accurate. And the fact that it, it, I just don't think it is. I think rounds one and five went to Machida. I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy around that. Those were the rounds where Anders struggled to really find a home for his effective offense. Machida was able to outland him numerically, and I believe in terms of, you know, substance of strikes, not just volume. And then rounds, the big, I think the swing round is round two, because three and four were pretty clearly for Anders. Might also be four, though. I saw a couple of people thinking four was a swing round rather than two. They gave Anders two and three and four was the kind of swing one. I don't know. But I, I just didn't see either guy winning four rounds uh, at all. I was I was three to two for Anders. I stand by that. Uh, he did a really good job, especially in rounds, you know, two, three, and four of actually crowding Machida. Because in rounds one and five, he really struggled to actually close distance and cut off Machida's movement. Um. I don't know, again, the decision really colors how I view the fight, which is a shame, because it was a pretty solid fight. <clears throat> it was, there was a lot of tactical decisions from both guys. Machida switching up his stance, uh, varying his kick offense, trying to stay at the distance he wanted. Anders trying to close it without getting too crazy. Finding spots in the in-between locations uh, to land his offense to really kind of make it ugly. There was a lot of good stuff from uh, from both guys throughout the course of this fight. But, again, I really don't agree with the decision, and unfortunately it does color a lot of how I viewed that fight. Uh, I think Anders still has a very potentially bright future. There's still some things he has to shore up, of course, but he came any more than held his own. Um <sighs> This is the type of fighter, I said this last week, I think, that Machida would have smoked when he was in his prime. It, just the way they match up. That's, this is the kind of guy he was. He designed his style to defeat. And he barely edged out a very controversial split decision. Like he, at, After the fight, Machida called out Michael Bisbing. I'd be okay with that fight if it is the last fight for both guys. Um, but other than that, I, I don't have a whole lot of interest in Machida anymore. He should have lost here. This was very clearly a hometown decision. I mean, they had Tony Weeks. Tony Weeks had a lot of fights that he scored last night. And Tony Weeks is a moron. Like, this guy's almost as bad as Adelaide Bird. And he was the one who went 49-46 Machida. I, I, I hope he enjoyed his payoff. That was, that's all I can say. Um. That score. Like, I can see 48-47 Machida. I don't agree with it at all. But I can see how you got there. Because, again, Machida won two of, the, two of the five rounds. And there were a couple other that, well, I believe they went to Anders without a whole lot of issue. I might have to rewatch it to you know, really dissect it. I can see at least one of those potentially being stolen 
depending on what you saw. I mean, judging is a deeply flawed. There's a deeply flawed implementation of a system that's fundamentally flawed anyway. So I can kind of, I don't agree with 4847 Machida, but I can at least follow the train of thought. It's weird. Makes a couple of leaps, but I can follow it sort of. Uh, 4946 Machida, I don't see at all. At all. I don't even really see 4946 Anders, but I thought he won the fight, so. Uh, but the actual, again, setting aside the decision and the result, the action was good. A lot of, again, a, a lot of interesting stuff between those guys. How Anders tried to adjust to Machida's stance switching, which stance Machida used at which times, to what effect he was using them. There was some interesting stuff, uh, but unfortunately we capped the night off with a terrible decision. <laughs> um, oh, geez, the co-main event. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko almost murdered Priscilla Kashweya. Uh The official finish was a rear naked choke submission at 425 of the second round. That first round was a 10-7 for Shevchenko. I think Kashweya officially landed one strike, and that was a generous one, uh, whereas Shevchenko landed over 100. Uh, she was counter-striking on the feet very well, landing good straight punches, got a double leg to an inside trip, and then from full guard, mind you, proceeded to just bludgeon this poor woman with elbows. Uh, cut her open, just smashed her. The fight could have been stopped at a couple of points there, but this is kind of the weird thing about that. There were enough periods of time when Kashweya was able to get some control over Shevchenko's posture and just keep Shevchenko from pouring on a good, like, 10-second barrage that would have really necessitated a stoppage. Instead, she just got the crap beat out of her for the full five minutes. The fight still probably should have been stopped. But it wasn't. Uh, then in the second, Shevchenko again lands a couple of punches, gets an inside trip, moves to side control very quickly, gets a mounted crucifix, proceeds to land punches and elbows because she's a freaking monster when she wants to be. I know a lot of people were put off by that second Nunes fight. I mean, A, I wasn't one of them, so be aware of that. And B, sometimes when you get the two best in the world, you get fights that look kind of like that. And I thought Shevchenko won that fight anyway. Uh, but... The, the fight really should have been stopped when she had the mounted crucifix. It wasn't, because Mario Yamasaki apparently has a life goal of watching someone die in the octagon. That's the only ex thing I can come up with, because really this should have been stopped. Uh, Kashweya does manage to get out of the mounted crucifix. Shevchenko continues bludgeoning her. Shevchenko gets mount, punches her in the face some more. The referee still doesn't stop it. Kashweya gives up her back. Shevchenko punches her in the head a lot more. The referee still doesn't stop it, and because Valentina didn't actually want to kill someone, she grabs a choke and forces the submission. Like One is the referee, Maru Yamasaki in this instance. This should have been stopped at a couple of different points. Like Again, he must have just like wanted to see someone die. This was so ludicrously non-competitive. I mean, when Shevchenko took mount and landed three or four punches, he should have just stopped it for the sake of, you know, humanity. 
I know that the statute, the criteria for stopping a fight is intelligent defense. Sometimes all you can do is cover up, which might constitute the sum total of your intelligent defense based on the circumstance. But if that's all you can do, the fight should be stopped just because in some cases it's not intelligent defense. It's not actually defending you from anything. You're just getting punched through your arms. And Cashwaya wasn't really moving the rest of her body. She was just covering up. If she's bucking and trying to hip escape, I mean, there's things you can do to indicate, no, I am still present, I am still in the fight, I am still looking for ways to be competitive. And then there's, boy, I'm just covering up because I don't want to tap out to strikes, which is stupid. If you're beat, you're beat. Live to fight another day. Don't take excessive damage. Then there's, and look, the reason I brought up the referee first is his only job is to protect fighters. That is the sum total, not the extent, but to enforce the rules while protecting the fighters. And he let Priscilla Cashwaya take a prolonged beating that went on significantly longer than it should have. The final strike count was something like 217 to 1. I mean, it, this was laughably, like almost tragically one-sided. And that deserves a mountain of criticism. It really does, because that's your only job. Then there's the UFC, especially Dana White's like faux outrage over this. This bothers me a little bit because you booked an 8-0 fighter who had never fought off of the regional scene to compete against maybe the best woman in the world at bantamweight and certainly the best woman in the world at flyweight. You booked deliberately a horrendous mismatch. Now, in part, that's because no one was willing to sign to fight Valentina Shevchenko. She talked about how much difficulty she had actually getting someone to sign to fight her. And the other part of it is you wanted a, a beating like this to kind of sell Shevchenko in the new division. You, if you book a mismatch like that deliberately with the express intent of letting one fighter shine at the physical expense of another, there's only so much outrage you get to have when it comes to what the referee did. Again, not excusing the ref at all. Only concern is fighter safety. Not only. His primary. His pr- the prime directive of a referee is to protect the fighters. He failed miserably. You don't get to have a lot of moral high ground when you booked that fight knowing full well what a mismatch it was. This was the outcome you wanted. You just wanted it on your terms rather than with the referee, you know, obfuscating your ability to hype Shevchenko going forward. you, You don't get a lot of moral outrage here, buddy. Other fighters do because they have to live with the physical consequences of what referees allow them to take in terms of beatings, but that's a whole other story. Um, look, just I said when I saw Nico Montano and Roxanne Montefiore fight for the belt and Nico won, like in the middle of that fight, I think I tweeted, so we're just giving Shevchenko the belt, right? Like, if they make that fight, if they make Shevchenko versus Montano for the flyweight, for the women's flyweight title, and A, they should. She is far and away the best, most 
deserving contender. She is the most meritocratic one. If they make that, I I think I can't remember who said this. It might have been Dan Plunkett on Twitter. That might be the first, the, the most. Ag- God, how do I say this? I can't think of another instance where the challenger so monumentally outstrips the champion in terms of skill in the cage. I mean, I don't have anything against Nico, but I th- I think Shevchenko should have been the bantamweight champion, bear in mind. I think she's going to run over this division. There's going to be some growing pains because this is not a well-thought-out division at all. That It's very much embryonic. And I think the the big kind of defining fights that are going to come out over the next few years is probably going to be at least one fight, if not two, between Shevchenko and Ioana Janjacek when Ioana moves up to flyweight. Because that cut to, fe- to strawweight is not doing her any favors anymore. And I think they'll have it, they'll have at least one fight. And... That should be really good. I, I hope they do, because I would love to see what those two bring to each other. I mean, Valentina has owned Joanna in their Muay Thai competitions. It's it's not a rival. Like pe- I know a few people have played up the rival. It's not a rivalry, guys. It wasn't competitive. Uh, Valentina won, I believe, all three of their bouts. Or won three, and then one was a draw. Like Valentina won all of them. <laughs> like Joanna has never defeated her. Now, if that's in Muay Thai and this is MMA, so I, and they're both very different fighters now. Again, I would love to see them fight. And I think that's where we're headed. And I really look forward to that confrontation if and when it happens. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say about uh, Cashway, her corner. Come on, guys. You saw that first round. Cashway complained about her left knee between rounds. Like... <sighs> Your job is to help and protect your fighter. How did you pro- how did you do either of those by sending her out for that second round? Like she got badly bludgeoned in that first. All you did was send her out to absorb more damage. You guys should have stopped that fight between rounds. Like you should have done that. Uh, shame on you, shame on the ref, and like borderline shame on the UFC for booking this. But I don't know the total ins and outs of the you know booking of Valentina Shevchenko. Again, she's mentioned that she had a really hard time finding anyone to fight her, and if no one else will sign on the dotted line, then you take what you can get. I'm not sure, again, the total truth of that, but hey, this was a showcase for Valentina. She put on a show. So, uh, you know, good for her. I imagine she will become champion in, before the year's out, pending the Montano's healing. And if Montano isn't healed, they will probably slap her in an interim title fight, which she will most likely win. Um, oh, geez, I forgot to mention. All right, since it would have taken place after the main, or before the main event, let me talk very briefly. There was supposed to be a bantamweight fight between... Pedro Munoz and John Dodson as the co-main event of this card. That didn't happen. Um, There were some issues with fighters making weight on this card. Eric Anders actually missed on his first attempt, but for no other reason other than because he was in the main event, as far as I can tell, the UFC and uh, the CAB MMA gave him an hour to make it. 
And he did on the second attempt. Um, Michelle Prezerish missed weight pretty badly. He weighed in at 161 pounds for a lightweight fight. Uh, that's his third time missing weight, and we'll get to his fight in a minute. Um, Pedro Munoz also missed weight. He weighed in at 140. And John Dodson declined to accept a catchweight fight with him. Now, here's why I'm not mad at Pedro Munoz over this. Pedro Munoz had a history of weight issues. I'd probably be more upset. He doesn't. He has never missed weight. He's never even really had a hard time making weight from what I can remember. It's not the, you know, it's not a trivial weight cut, but it's one he's always made and made successfully. His his hotel ran out of hot water. Like during his weight cut, which is it boggles my mind. And I can't be upset at him for failing to make weight when a key component of every weight cutting methodology in existence was deprived was deprived of him. Like there's a couple of different ways to cut weight. I mean, there's saunas, of course, but saunas just make you sweat and also, you know, require heated water to produce steam. The, uh, one of the more common ones involves fill up a bathtub with hot water. I believe there might be a, a salt, comp- a saline. It becomes a saline solution, like there's a salt component to it to help draw water out of your system. And you sit in that, you sweat for a little bit, you let the water kind of get pulled up, you get out of the tub, you uh, jump into like a bed, you cover yourself in blankets, you want to kind of dry that off and then sweat some more, quasi-recover, let things settle, you get back in the tub, you go back, like, you, you go back and forth between those two circumstances. It's a much more efficacious way of draining water from the body. And if you don't have hot water, you can't do it. You just fundamentally can't. I, I don't know why he wasn't able to find some other sort of circumstance that would assist him with this. Maybe it was too late in the evening. For him to, you know, go to another hotel and just like, hey, I need, I, I don't know the totality of circumstance. I would love to hear it because I've, there's a few, I feel like there's a few things he could have done in terms of, oh crap, my hotel ran out of hot water. I can't really cut weight without this, but I mean, how, again, I can't get mad at Pedro Munoz for having an unsuccessful weight cut when the fundamental tool for cutting weight was not available to him. How can I be mad at him over that? He's never missed weight before. I can't be mad at John Dodson for not taking the fight either. Dude weighed in five pounds over the limit. He's halfway to the featherweight limit. And John Dodson's a natural flyweight. This is, he's not a big bantamweight by any stretch of the imagination. I can't be upset at him for not taking that fight. Like, dude didn't make weight by, and again, we're not talking about a pound or, a, you know, half a pound or a pound and a half. By a significant margin. Not upset at John Dodson at all for that. I, it's just one of those circumstances that really sucks because I wanted to see that fight, but 
I can't get mad at any of the. I can't get mad at either fighter. Like, not reasonably, I feel. I mean, sure, if you're, you know, somebody out there might be deeply upset about this. How dare Dodson not, you know, take the fight? Why did Moon? You know, yeah, there's a lot of questions, but personally, I don't find a lot of anger towards either party all that reasonable, given the circumstances. Again, it sucks. I wanted to see that fight, but there's only so much. I, I can't really get upset at either of them, unless more until or unless more information becomes available. Um, anyway, next up we had a cut. Again, it was supposed to be a lightweight fight. Uh, Michelle Prezeris defeated Desmond Green via unanimous decision: two thirty twenty sevens, one twenty nine twenty eight. Again, Prezeris weighed in at one hundred and sixty one pounds. That's not even close to the lightweight limit of 155. And for non-title fights, they give you that last pound. I don't know why that is. I really have to ask Pat, because he's got enough you know, historical knowledge. But, I mean, technically speaking, like the lightweight division is 146 to 155 pounds. Excuse me. 146 to 155. But if you're in a non-title fight, for some reason they give you one pound over. I, I don't fully understand why. But you know, Prezeris missed badly. This was his, I believe, third time missing weight in the UFC. Yeah, his second in a row. Um, he missed when he fought Gilbert Burns, weighed in at 158, weighed in 159 when he fought Mads Brunel and 161 here. Yeah, he's, he's done at lightweight. Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, wait, that's three. He's now fat Michelle Prezerish. <laughs> Always nice to have more fat guys, I suppose. Um, anyway. Yeah, you need three. You missed weight three times. You are now fat. That is the title you have unlocked. Congratulations on, you know, succeeding in the unreliable achievement. I don't know. Um, as for the fight itself, I have no issues with the decision. There were some really fun wrestling exchanges in here. And... It needs to be said, because there's a lot of MMA fans who don't... ah, I don't want to make this sound condescending. The way we as MMA fans talk about wrestling is not really wrestling. We talk about it in terms of offensive and defensive, and bear in mind, absolutely I'm including myself in all of this. We tend to limit it to, you know, takedowns and certain clinch... And, you know, how we view clinch fighting. The reality of wrestling is wrestling is what happens until someone concedes a position. That's, like, fundamentally what it is. It's not just the double leg. It's not just the sprawl. It is everything that goes on until one fighter concedes a position, whatever that happens to be. And that's why when you watch... If you, you know, watch collegiate or international amateur wrestling, which I do, not, a, not as much as I should, but I do because I enjoy it. That's why they move the way they do. That's why there's so much, you know, we call it scrambling. It's really just wrestling. We call it something different in terms of MMA because scrambling encompasses so much more than just wrestling exchanges. Uh, but it's 
again, it's whatever. It's everything until someone concedes a position. And these two spent a lot of time not conceding positions to each other. There were some really fun, you know, takedown into a seated position, into a you know, single leg reversal, into a into a switch, into a back take, into a you know, grip. It, there was a lot of fun wrestling. Uh, Pizarro's was just bigger, stronger, put more firepower into his offense. And I don't – let me say it like this. I'm not sure the failed weight cut really would have effect, affected the outcome in the sense that Pizarro's was just better than Green. But it is – it is fundamentally an issue, and apparently Prezeris is going to have to fight at welterweight for at least one fight. And I would rather he just stayed there at this point. He can't consistently make weight. Got a lot. You can't let him keep fighting at lightweight. Um, at heavyweight, Timothy Johnson defeated Marcelo Golm via unanimous decision, 30-27, 229-28. Uh, this was just a big roadblock that Marcelo Golm wasn't prepared to deal with. Uh, Johnson was able to kind of consistently punch his way into the clinch, drive Goldman to the fence, control him there, beat him up with you know knees and dirty boxing, and Goldman didn't really have an ability to separate, to disengage, to reset. Um, I mean, I, I can I could hear Dominic Cruz gets a bit of flack for constantly talking about underhooks. Uh, he shouldn't. First of all, they are integral. And if other commentators talk about the the need to drive through a takedown, you know, something like that, then really the fact that when you're on the fence, he's saying, no, you really should pummel for an underhook here. It's critical to controlling component X, Y, and Z. And people aren't doing it. Like He's right to bring it up. So again, not to go all Dominic Cruz on you, but really Golem was content to get a whizzer, which is a tight overhook, on the underhook that Johnson was able to get. Now, the whizzer has uses. I'm not trying to dismiss it. But he never really was able to... If you get that on one side, you really want to pummel with your other hand to get over-under control, uh, 50-50 position. He never did that. And at that point, your whizzer isn't actually helping you all that much. It's kind of anchoring his arm to your body where he is then able to control you and keep you from shifting through that side like it's this was just a tough kind of gritty veteran fighting intelligently against an up-and-coming heavyweight who just wasn't quite there yet i mean this was only Golm's second ufc fight he's like he was only like his ninth or tenth professional fight i hope he gets better because heavyweight needs help just wasn't able to get by what timothy johnson does and to be fair, the way Timothy Johnson fights, you have to be able to beat that. You really do. If you're going to be somebody in the division. At Bantamweight, Douglas Silva de Andrade defeated Marlon Vera via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade is a less interesting version of John Lineker. But they fight kind of the same. Uh, Vera just wasn't really prepared for the firepower, I think. He kept trying to fight long and you know, keep things technical, but DeAndrage was able to crack him from the outside, pressure him. Vera's not good f- moving backwards. Uh, that is not a strength of his right now, and he didn't go forward a whole lot in this fight. 
And kicking off the main card, Tiago Santos defeated Anthony Smith via TKO, a body kick in the second round. This was fun. Uh, this was two guys who just like to swing and try to take each other's heads off. Uh, they had some good back-and-forth stuff in the first. Smith's defensive liability just kind of caught up to him, and Santos has a wicked left kick, and he was able to line it up to the body, crumpled Smith, finished him off on the mat. Uh, Santos should be in line for another shot at a top 10-ish guy. Probably top, someone in the top 10, yeah. I'm not sure he'll win because he's got issues of his own, but he's looking good lately. Uh, on the prelims, Sergio Moraes defeated Tim Means via split decision. This was another bad decision. Uh, there was 129.28 for Means to 29.28 for Moraes. I was 29.28 Means. Um, this again, there were some bad decisions last night. Um, certainly some interesting scorecards, even in decisions that were correct, like the next one. But and I thought Means won. Um, not a whole lot here. Alon Patrick defeated Demir Hadzovic via unanimous decision, 30-25 and 30-27 twice. I believe I was 30-26. Here I gave Patrick a 10-8 second round. Oh, one second. Uh, 30-25 is ludicrous. I mean, he won all three rounds, but the only one he won by a wide enough margin was the second. Um, there was, again, weird scores last night in addition to some bad decisions. Uh, Pollyanna Viana defeated Maya Stevenson by submission in the first round. Maya Stevenson is not very good. Um, she's in. I, she was on the flyweight season of Tough. And was actually like seated fifth, which is hilarious. Um, she's in this position because she's married to Joe Stevenson, and Dana White still has a hard on for the first couple of seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. I. Why isn't her? Why isn't my Stevenson's nickname Mommy? I'm not trying to be like misogynistic, but she's married to Joe Stevenson, and Joe Stevenson's nickname was famously Daddy. He was Joe Daddy Stevenson. So wouldn't his wife be Maya Mommy Stevenson? I don't know. Random thoughts. Um, Viana looks pretty good. Stevenson does not look like she belongs in the UFC. I think Mark Ramundi pointed out that uh, oh, she's Stevenson after this fight is like six and five. Of the six women she has beaten have a combined record of 0 and 24. Like, she's really, I'm not sure she's a UFC caliber fighter. Uh, Yuri Alcantara defeated Joe Soto via TKO, body hit and punches in the first round. I think Luke Thomas mentioned this, and it bears repeating. The intersection in the Venn diagram of horrible luck but good talent is called Joe Soto. Um, Alcantara looked good. Uh, just for as long as the fight lasted. You know, not a bad fight. And at flyweight, Davison Figueredo defeated Joseph Morales via TKO in the second round. Solid enough stuff from Figueredo. Uh, he's, a, he's kind of a flyweight on the rise. Uh, Morales just looked kind of shell-shocked after he got hit the first couple of times and taken down. And he never really got his head back in the fight. Um... Yeah, Figueredo was a top is a top fifteen guy. He was before this fight. Uh, keep moving him up in the world. You know, Mighty Mouse is going to need new challengers. Or, you know, once the UFC dissolves the division because they're dying to, um, 
We'll see how he does at bantamweight. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, that was that event. It wasn't very good. The whole thing, like. Buzaris and Green had some fun wrestling exchanges here and there, but not a whole lot between that. Johnson and Golden was crappy heavyweights. Uh, Machida and Anders was interesting, but marred by a terrible decision. Like it was just a really, really uninteresting night of fights for the majority of it. Uh, thank you to everyone who followed along with my coverage before or after the fact. Uh, I appreciate you all. In no small part because checking the comments between rap between fights tends to help amuse me as I'm weeping for the pacing that the UFC has for these events. Cause God, it's awful. It is just awful. <clears throat> All right. This coming Saturday, we have, did we lose a fight? No, we didn't. Okay. Sorry. We have UFC 221 from Perth, Australia. This is their first trip to all of Western Australia, actually. They only recently, within the last couple of years, I think, passed a law allowing the use of a cage in an MMA context rather than having to fight in a ring. Guys, and really, MMA fights are contested in a cage not because it's brutal. It's actually safer than fighting... In, than having an MMA fight in a ring with ropes. It's it's genuinely safer to to fight in a in a cage than it is to fight in a ring. Um, but they finally kind of got over that, and this was the main event was supposed to be Luke Rockhold and Robert Whitaker for the middleweight title. I am sad that fight won't happen, but Whitaker got a nasty staph infection in his stomach. Uh, apparently, like, started eating his stomach. Uh, staff's not a good thing. But he seems to be on the mend. He's been doing a few, you know, events. Uh, he's not, like, sitting in a hospital room. So hopefully he gets better soon and we can have him fighting before the end of the year because I'm a huge fan of Robert Whitaker. Uh, instead, we now have Yoel Romero fighting Luke Rockhold for the interim middleweight title. That poor division. You know, I blame Luke Rockhold in large part for this. Had he just beaten Michael Bisbing the second time instead of getting lazy with his lead hand and clipped with that left hook, we wouldn't have had this massive divergence in how that division's title lineage is gone, how it was booked, just all of that would have been gone. But Luke Rockhold exists to kind of complicate my life, apparently. Um, As for the fight itself... I get. Hang on. Ah, sorry. Talking to myself, you know, my throat gets dry a little bit, so I've got liquid refreshment. Not alcoholic. I don't mean to imply that. Um, I want to say something about this fight. Um, more than the kind of technical details of each guy, which I want to briefly get into. I had a really weird thought about this fight. Um, at least part that was in no small part inspired by uh, something I heard on the Joe Rogan experience. I'm not a fan of that podcast. I don't watch a whole lot of them. But there are people around me whose opinions I I trust, and one of them, a guy who's been on the show a couple of times, Andrew Graham, suggested that I listen to the 
or watch the Joe Rogan Experience episode with John Donaher. And I, I trust Andrew. I've stolen enough of his analysis and ideas and <laughs> leaned on him too much when something happens that I don't quite understand, and I know he does, and he's very generous with his time and insight. I, I, I know stuff. I, I've got a decent knowledge accumulated, and I am generally confident in the analysis that I provide. And I think I still have copious amounts to learn. And I have people around me who I can lean on when things go ways that, when I don't understand something. I have a couple of different people around me whose expertise I can lean on. So when he suggested I listen to Joe Rogan and John Donaher, I listened to him and then I listened to the show. And I absolutely fascinating, first of all. If you're unfamiliar with John Donaher, he's a jiu-jitsu coach nowadays. He's a black belt under Henzo Gracie. I first became familiar with him uh, when he was training George, when he was working with George St. Pierre, specifically prior to the Jake Shields fight. He's also worked with Chris Weidman and a couple of other fighters. If you're in jiu-jitsu circles, he is the primary coach of what is known as the Donaher Death Squad. Uh, I believe it's primarily Gordon Ryan, who is the ADCC champion in his weight and was the runner-up in the absolute division. Uh, multiple-time EBI champion. Uh, Gary Tonin's a multiple-time EBI champion, very well-known international grappler. Uh, Eddie Cummings. I think there's a fourth. I think Gordon Ryan's brother, whose name I can't remember. Uh, developed a revolutionary leg lock system. and just, So listening to that, he absolutely fascinating guy. The way he talked about the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu, uh, the way he thought about them, broke them down, discussed them, completely changed how I viewed elements of that sport and that art form. But towards the end, they were talking about different fighters, and Yoel Romero got brought up. Because, again, because he's worked with Chris Weidman, and uh, they kind of brought up the Weidman-Romero fight. And Donahue said something really interesting about Yoel Romero. And again, some of this is within the context of some of his thoughts on jiu-jitsu and what has been discussed prior. And he exaggerated the point for dramatic effect, and I'm not terribly big on that. I'm far too literal a person myself most of the time. He mentioned that Yoel Romero is, I believe his exact words were, the most uncontrol- was the uncontrol- most uncontrollable man in the universe. Now this is, again, exaggerated for effect, but it gave me pause because... There's some significant truth to that. And control in this instance is not... is beyond the physical manifestation of we're in the clinch or we're on the ground and I'm preventing you from doing things. Control in this sense references like the totality of the fight. Be that, you know, controlling distance, controlling timing, controlling pacing, controlling the area it takes place in. You use physical control in the clinch, physical control on the mat, the, the totality of it. And really, it is unbelievably difficult to control Yoel Romero in any of those contexts. He explodes through distance so fast that you can't really control it. It's not impossible, but it's very, very difficult. Taking him down, it's it's almost impossible to keep him down. It's almost impossible to stop him from taking you down. 
you know, again, the timing is difficult to control because he switches up his timing so well. There's so much about him that you just can't control. And he's not unbeatable. In fact, when Whittaker, when Robert Whitaker beat him, Whitaker being the only guy who's beaten him in the UFC, it's when Romero kind of slowed down and Whitaker was able to kind of control the distance of the fight more than anything else and kind of the pacing. Again, this is just a guy who is extraordinarily difficult to exert any measure of control over in any sense of the fight. And then you have Luke Rockhold. And this is interesting to me because Luke Rockhold's entire game is predicated on control. He controls the timing of the striking. He controls the distance at which the striking is fought. He controls the clinch position. If you get on the mat with him, God help you because he controls you. His mount is a death sentence, and that's not true of the position anymore. It used to be. But his mount, you can't get that guy off you. He can, again, his game is predicated on him controlling it. And when he starts to struggle is when things get chaotic. And this is some of his own technical issues. But when, things, when he can't control things, he struggles a lot. And so what you have here, in addition to just the fight between Romero and Rockwell, is this, I find at least, fascinating clash of fighter A, who needs in... I can't stress this enough. Luke Rockhold must control the fight. Probably the most difficult to control guy in the division, if not the sport. I, I, I don't know. That really interests me. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out. As for the specifics of the fight, there's a couple of things here. Um, one is that both guys are southpaw. And Luke has struggled a bit with southpaws at times because his the pri- his primary offense is at distance is his kicking game, and if he can't open up that body kick, being in the opposite stance, it's less effective, not ineffective, mind you, but less. Rockhold's hands have also been a problem. Um, he got tagged pretty good by David Branch a couple of times, and Yoel Romero hit significantly harder than David Branch. Uh, Romero's much more used to fighting kind of other southpaws because the way he fights, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, If they hit the mat, it's all about who's on top. Um, Luke Rockhold on top again is like near death. That guy will just crush you. Be that with his blows or with the fact that, nope, you can't get out from under him. You just, you can't, it's almost impossible to do. He is that good from that position. On his back, he's less good. And if Romero gets on top, Romero has, you know, elbows from the depths of hell. Like, that guy will just smash you, too. I'm torn on this fight because I can see either guy winning it. I can see Rockhold kind of enduring a storm for the first round and a half and then picking things up as Romero tires. I can see Romero's takedown defense becoming an issue because it's not the best in the world. Somewhat ironic considering his, he's you know, one of the best amateur freestyle wrestlers of his generation. But he also gets up unbelievably well, which is why he doesn't care that much about being taken down. Because, okay, you took me down. You can't actually do anything with it. Good luck. 
Uh, that's more dangerous against Rockhold than it is against a lot of guys because of again, his control. I can also see Rockhold's lazy hands getting him clipped and finished because he has not been good about his hand position. And if Romero can kind of force things to be chaotic, to, you know, change up the pacing when Rockhold thinks he's got it settled, uh, Romero could easily beat him. I'm going to do this thing again where I acknowledge that I'm probably wrong. If I were taking the higher percentage outcome, I would pick Rockhold. I feel like that's slightly more likely to happen. But I also don't really pick against Yoel Romero. I did when he fought Whitaker because I'm that, I have that much respect for Robert Whitaker's abilities. But I don't know. I, I, I'm going to pick Romero here. I'm fully prepared to be wrong about this, mind you. And probably will be. I, I will acknowledge beforehand. I am probably wrong about this. But I'm going to lean towards Romero. I think we get the rematch between him and Whitaker. And I look forward to that fight as well. I very much enjoyed their first fight. All right. Uh, okay. Remember when I said this wasn't a really good card and the UFC better hope that nothing happens to either Romero or Rockhold between now and then? Yeah. Uh, the co event is Mark Hunt versus Curtis Blades. Um, Blades has only lost in the UFC to Francis Ngannou. Um, he's coming off of that weird doctor stoppage against Alexei Olyanek. It was a weird stoppage. It's a weird circumstance. Uh, Mark Hunt hasn't fought since he beat Derek Lewis in June of last year. He was supposed to fight uh, Marcin Tabora, then he had that issue with the UFC, compounded by him putting out an article where he discussed suffering from elements of the onset of CTE and uh, the whole thing. The whole thing. I have very little reason to pick against Mark Hunt here. Curtis Blades is a pretty good athlete, but he's never fought someone the level of Mark Hunt. He's never... uh, I just, like... I have a hard time picking against Mark Hunt here. This is the type of fight he tends to excel in. Uh, Also at heavyweight, because the UFC hates me, we have Tai Tuivasa and Cyril Asker. This one... This is is designed for Tai Tuivasa to win. Tuivasa is undefeated. He is 6-0. Only has one win in the UFC, and he beat Rashad Coulter. Again, Rashad Coulter, not exactly the cream of the crop at heavyweight, but... He's also the type of fighter a six uh, five and zero at the time guy should be fighting. Like there's, there's you know not you can't throw that guy into the deep end if he's on the up and coming. Um, Asker's coming off a win over Zhao Zhongqiu, lost to Walt Harris before that. Um, both guys are kind of strikers. Again, this is kind of set up for Tuivasa to get a win. And heavyweight needs young up-and-comers like Tai Tuivasa, so I hope he delivers and continues to improve. At welterweight, we have Jake Matthews and Li Jingliang. Uh, Matthews had that split decision over Boyan Velichkovic. I actually seem to recall thinking he lost that fight. And Li Jingliang <laughs> only has two losses in the UFC. One of them was a split decision that I thought he won. 
And then he just kind of had a mental lapse in the third round against Keita Nakamura. Uh, gave up a choke in that. His overall UFC record is what? One, two, six and two. He's on a four-fight winning streak. This guy's not a joke. Uh, I got Jing Leong here. I like Matthews, generally speaking, but Li Jing Leong is a good wrestler, a good counter-wrestler, and he packs more firepower. That guy hits hard. It's weird when you look at him because he doesn't look like the kind of guy who would just start you with a couple of punches, but he's got power, and if he gets Matthews down, and he very well could, uh, his ground and pound has some serious force behind it as well. And kicking off the main card... Yeah, seriously. There's the two heavyweight fights, and then there's a light heavyweight fight between Tyson Pedro and Saperbek Safarov. Um, Pedro couldn't get past Ilir Latifi in his last fight, which kind of sucks, but uh, Pedro's also only 6-1. and one. Hopefully he's turned that into a learning experience and is better this time because light heavyweight desperately needs, you know, bodies that aren't over the age of 30. No, no, This really needs bodies not over the age of 35. Like, that's an old division. And Pedro's like 26. So, uh, again, this is kind of designed for Pedro to win. I think he will. Um, so, the, the mediocre light heavyweights, guys. I just hope it ends quickly. <clears throat> All right, on, as for the prelims, we have Damian Brown and the maestro Dong Yen Kim, not the stun gun. Uh, Kim, jeez, last fought when he beat Gomi. Booked him against Gomi, that's just mean. That is just mean, even for the Japan card, like, come on. Um, that This has the makings of a fun little brawl. Uh, these two are both going to kind of get after it. Uh, that could go either way. I'll lean towards Kim, but Brown will probably overperform and win it. Um, at middleweight, Rob Wilkinson. Who got knocked out by C.R. Bahadur Zada. Yeah, TKO'd. Close enough. Fights Israel Adesanya. And I can't figure out where I know that guy's name from. I really can't. It must be... It must just be the last name. Like, I, there's somebody else with that same last name who I've seen or heard of. Um, Adesanya's undefeated, 11-0. and 0, Finished all of them. Good grief. Oh, he's got a professional kickboxing record. Yeah, no wonder he's like, starching people. 65-5-2 as a professional kickboxer? Really? And a bu- okay, yeah. Uh, I'll go with Adesanya here. Uh, probably shouldn't, but... Uh, we have Jeremy Kennedy and Alexander Volkanovsky at lightweight. Uh, Kennedy's undefeated, 3-0 in the UFC, but uh, I really have kind of come around on Alexander Volkanovsky. 16-1 on a massive winning streak, 3-0 in the UFC as well. Uh, he's back at featherweight. The last one was a catchweight, but that was deliberate. Uh, both guys agreed to it. He was up at lightweight here. Uh, I I like Volkanovski. I really do. I think he'll get that one done. We have a really good flyweight fight. Why couldn't this be on the main card? 
Jussier Formiga is fighting Ben Wynn. This is a really good flyweight fight. Uh, Formiga tapped out Uka Sasaki in his last fight and is really try- He's like the only top like five guy who hasn't been beaten by Demetrius Johnson yet. Uh, ben Wynn is on a two-fight winning streak. He came off of that really impressive performance when he tapped out Tim Elliott in 49 seconds. His only loss in the UFC was that fight with Smolka. This is a tough one. I, I kind of like Ben Wynn here. Probably going to regret that, but I like Ben Wynn. Uh, on Fight Pass, we have Ross Pearson and Mizuto Hirota. Um, Hirota lost to Volkanovski. Hirota's been all over the place, man. Yeah. Um, and Ross was, I believe Ross was last seen having his not, mouthpiece knocked out by a knee from uh, Dan Hooker that completely ended his night. Yeah. Lost four in a row. That's tough. I'll go with Rhoda. Probably shouldn't. But I'll go with him. Um, at Bantamweight, Teruto Ishihara is making his Bantamweight debut. I. Uh, I can't really pick Ishihara generally because he lost to uh, what's his name? I've blocked his name from my memory. Artem Lobov. And Artem Lobov sucks. So if you can't beat Artem Lobov, you really suck. Quinones uh, three and one in the UFC, three fight winning streak. I'll actually lean towards Ishihara there. And kicking everything off, Luke Jamo fights Dachi Abe. Abe had an interesting UFC debut, if I'm remembering him correctly. Let me double-check that. I'll make sure I'm not confusing him with someone else. And he's 6-0, and and he... Yeah, he knocked out... He beat Hyungu Lim. I am remembering him correctly. Uh, Jamo one and one lost to Shinzo. I'm actually going to go with Abe there. Not completely sold on that, but I'll go with Abe. Uh, all right. Anyway, that will be UFC 221. I will have live coverage of that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania come Saturday. So stop by, say hello. Feel free to agree or disagree with my conclusions and coverage. Uh, just be respectful of those who disagree with you. That's all. Uh, all right. As far as news goes, the only thing I think I really wanted to touch on, the UFC last night announced a bunch of their upcoming cities and dates. They announced um, UFC Utica. They announced a few fights for the return to New Jersey, uh, Atlantic City specifically. They announced the Chicago card, which will probably feature CM Punk fighting again, because I apparently we need... Ah, oh, never mind. Not worth getting riled up over. Punk sucks. I don't care. <laughs> He'll probably get beat, and who cares? Um, the big news was that UFC 222 lost its main event. It was supposed to be Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar for the featherweight titles, the second time they tried to make that fight. This time, it wasn't Frankie who got injured. It was Holloway. Holloway suffered some kind of leg injury. I believe that's all that's known. And that sucks. 
for a couple of reasons. One, I really like that fight, and I really want to see it. Uh, I I think Holloway will be the first guy to finish Frankie. I'm on record. But I really want to see the fight. I think it's a great fight. And the other thing that really sucks about that, that card was weak. Like, the next fight down was Stefan Struve versus Andre Arlovsky. Yeah, it's that bad. It only goes down from there, guys. In fact, uh, hang on, let me bring up the card. Since I'm bringing it up specifically, let me remind myself. Yeah, the rest of that would have been that main card. You have Struve and Arlovsky. CB Dalloway has a job still. He's fighting Hector Lombard. Why? Why would you do this to... Uh, I hate everything about that. Everything. Uh, Mackenzie Dern's actually making her UFC debut, which is interesting, but not exactly, you know, pay-per-view main card type of crap. Uh, Mackenzie Dern's fighting Ashley Yoder. That should... Uh, and then you have Katzengano and Ketlin Vieira. And uh, that's it. As far as what would be the main card, the rest of the announced card, Sean O'Malley and Andre Sukumtat, their UFC has really given that guy easy fights. Uh, Brian Caraway and Cody Staman. And that's supposed to be Caraway and, Del- and uh, Garbrandt. Where did I hear that Cody Garbrandt was going to be fighting? I could have sworn I heard that Garbrandt signed to fight Caraway. Eh, I might be misremembering. Uh, Jordan Johnson and Adam Milstead, and Benil Dariush and Bobby Green. That's actually not a bad lightweight fight, but that is not a strong card. Uh, If you have Holloway and Edgar at the top to be the main event, that's a great fight. That's certainly a pay-per-view worthy main event. No problem paying for that fight. It's a great fight. Card, however, has nothing else of interest on it. Uh, The UFC apparently tried to get a bantamweight title rematch between TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. Um, it, it didn't happen. I'm opposed to it for a couple of reasons. One, you have two other contenders right there with you know, significant performances in Jimmy Rivera and Marlon Marais, who If you want to make a title fight, give it to one of them. Cody is more than talented enough to get back to the title after a fight or two, and probably only one, but after a fight. Let it rebuild a little. Let some hype come back to it. Don't force that rematch. Don't make your legitimate, don't make your other contenders wait while you force a rematch, especially a rematch with a definitive conclusion. That was a competitive fight, and TJ came within a whisker of being finished before managing to rally and get the finish in the second. I'm not saying it's not a good fight. I'm not saying I don't want to see it. I don't want to see an immediate rematch. It's not necessary. You have other contenders. Again, you have Jimmy Rivera right there. Jimmy Rivera is an excellent fighter. Undefeated in the UFC on this stupid long winning streak, you have Marlon Marais put on a near knockout of the year against Aljamain Sterling. His only loss in many years was a controversial split decision to Rafael Asuncao that I thought he won. A lot of people agreed with me on that, by the way. Like, bantamweight's a hot division. We don't need immediate rematches. We really don't. We don't even need the champion going down to flyweight to fight Demetrius Johnson, but that's a whole other can of worms that 
I've said my piece on them. It, this is a division that doesn't need that. It needs its champion actively fighting and defending the title against, you know, the laundry list of deserving top contenders. If we weren't in that situation, we could revisit the idea, but we are. Um, TJ had no interest in that fight uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he is slightly bitter at the UFC. Um, he said specifically after I lost a split decision to Dominic Cruz to lose the belt, I had to wait two years to get another shot at it. True. And some of that's on the UFC for tying up Cruz with, and then him and Garbrandt with you know various things. Like they wanted the Cruz and Faber fight, then they wanted you know TJ and Cody to coach tough, stupid, and then Cody had his back issues. Like, again, it was just an unfortunate series of events. But he did have to wait two years after losing a very competitive fight that went to a split decision. I thought Cruz won. Still think Cruz won. I thought Cruz won every time I watched that fight, but a very interesting, very competitive fight, and he had to wait two years. Doesn't want to give the guy an immediate rematch. Doesn't like, T- doesn't like Cody Garbrandt to begin with. Those two really don't like each other. And he wants the Demetrius Johnson fight really badly for some reason. Uh, and Demetrius announced on his Twitch stream a few days ago that negotiations are apparently underway for the fight between him and TJ. Uh, what that means as far as where they are in the process, who knows? But they're talking about it. Ugh, I don't like that fight. I really don't. Not because I... I would love... To, I mean, I'll, if it happens, I'll love to watch it, but... Nothing happens in a vacuum, guys. Nothing. And... I can't not see the potential ramifications. I can't not look down the road. You know, I mentioned some of the issues I had with uh, Cormier and Stipe, despite that fight kind of making sense when you look at the state of each division, but there's a lot, there's some significant problems that can be caused because of that. And a lot of people told me, you know, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it type thing. I mean, it's the same response that I got when I said, no, Thor Ragnarok has all these problems as a film. I got told, shut up and have fun. Now, there's problems with booking champion versus champion fights. There's logistical problems. There's personnel problems. There's timing problems. There's problems. Now, shut up and enjoy the fights. Tell you what, day after that fight happens, when all of the when when the new reality starts coming down and tying things up, I mean, look, the UFC is trying to book uh, their international fight week, their July pay per view. They want three champion versus champion fights. Uh, they've already booked Stipe and Cormier. They want to do Nunez versus Cyborg, and they want to have DJ and TJ on that same card. So you're just tying up six divisions. I mean, you're going to make a, you know, you could potentially make a really great card out of that. That's very true. But you've got, you are then preventing six divisions worth of title shots and championship fights for the next eight to ten weeks at a minimum. 
you're going to get your three champion versus champion fights, and then for the next, like, eight events, you're going to have interim champions because you booked everybody onto one card. Ugh, I don't like it. There's too many problems associated with it. All those fights are awesome in a vacuum, but nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, so the UFC is pretty desperately looking for a new main event for UFC 222. It's only four weeks out. Um, it's March 3rd. And, uh, yeah, the other reason uh, TJ mentioned he turned down that fight was he's not in a camp right now. And he's not going to, you know, go on four weeks notice when he has a five-week-old baby. Because, yeah, his wife gave birth, you know, like five weeks ago. Uh, he's not actively in a training camp. He's not going to jump into one for, you know, a four-week session to fight someone like Cody Garbrandt. If you're fighting someone like Cody Garbrandt, you want the full six weeks. You want every possible advantage in your favor because that guy will take your head off. So, he's again, he's not in camp. He's really got his sights set on the fight with Demetrius. He's not – again, I don't blame the guy for not taking the fight. I very rarely blame fighters for not taking fights unless you're a champion refusing to defend it against any of the reasonable contenders on a reasonable timeline. This is extremely short notice. I don't blame the guy for not taking the fight. And I'm not really a fan of TJ Dillashaw's as such, but I still can't blame the guy. So hopefully they'll find something for that card because, yeah, that's that's not a pay-per-view without it. <laughs> um, they were really hoping for Holloway and Edgar to stay healthy. And hopefully that fight doesn't turn out to be as cursed as, like, Tony and Khabib. Because that's another... Because I really want to see both of those fights. And if they wind up cursed, I'm just going to be sad. Uh, was there any other major fight announced? Fights announced? Last night I want to double-check. Uh, no, they haven't announced anything for... Oh, yeah! No, I think they had already announced they were going to Santiago. It'll be an interesting experience. Um, they announced their Utica card, no fights. They announced UFC 225 for Chicago, but no fights yet. Uh, yeah, they, again, they flushed out a lot of fight nights. Uh, but I don't think they announced a whole... They announced some, like, you know, preliminary slash lower main card stuff, but they didn't really get into... Uh, the specifics of any of them. As of yet, yeah, they announced like three fights for the fight for Friday Night 128 in uh, Atlantic City. None of those are your main event. A couple of good fights that they've announced, but I think there's still a lot of stuff going on there. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I think that's it for major news items. Uh, I believe, yeah, so that'll pretty much be it for me here. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, let me think. Do I have anything coming up? I don't think it's this week. I think it's next week that uh, Mark and I will have Damn You Hollywood back for at least for at least the one, I believe it's our only show in February. Uh, we'll be reviewing Black Panther. Whilst I sob and sigh over my inability to convince him to see and then review with me, you know, something like The Shape of Water. 
Uh, but yeah, so uh, that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks, I think. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, next week, we'll be back at our regular time eight, of 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. We will review UFC 221 and double checking one last time. Uh, yeah, we will preview UFC Fight Night 126. Boy, that is a weird card. Uh, the main event is Donald Cerrone and Yancey Medeiros. Medeiros looking to knock off his second cowboy in a row. Uh, Derek Lewis versus Marcin Tabora. That'll probably fall through. James Vick and Francisco Trinaldo's not a bad fight. Tiago Alves is fighting. That's not a terribly good card on paper. But we'll preview it, so tune in for that. Uh, again, and I should have at least Jeff back next week. I will probably have Pat as well. Uh, you know, Yoel Romero is one of those fighters that Pat really tries to make time for when we talk about on this show. Uh, I believe that's it for me. I don't think I have any... I was in Fact or Fiction last week. Don't think I won, but thank you to everyone for reading along, voting, and supporting that you know, weekly column. Uh, yeah, I think that's everything for me. All right. Thank you again for listening. I deeply appreciate it. Be that live or after the fact. Uh, until next week, when you won't have to just listen to me talk for, I believe I'm an hour and 15 minutes now. <laughs> I'm Robert Winfrey. See you all next time, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.